Hello and welcome to The Witches You Didn't Burn. My name is Marky. My name is Claire. And today I am drinking a Sonic Hard Seltzer Lemon Berry. It sounds like I'm being healthy, but in reality it's I'm allergic to stevia and Trulies have stevia in them. Is it like Sonic the Rush? Like, yeah, look at this. Oh, shit. It's a little Sonic. Everyone has a hard seltzer now. They do. The hard seltzer game is going strong. I feel like it's having its moment. Matt calls it static alcohol. And honestly, he's not wrong. I hate (laughs) hard seltzer. Well, to be fair, I hate seltzer in general. I do not really enjoy carbonated drinks whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I will drink like a whiskey and Coke or something like that. But that is the extent of my carbonation drinking. Yeah. And you usually only have like one. And that's because I make them strong as fuck. <laughs> I really only drink one drink because I make them insanely strong when I'm making them at home. Now, if I'm drinking like a scotch or something, I'll have more than one. But generally, like today, I am drinking uh, vodka uh, with uh, pomegranate lemonade. I love pomegranate stuff. Yeah. I made it very strong. It's about too many ounces of vodka. Well, and she's got it in one of those big ass mason jars. Yes, I've decided to be, uh, you know, so unique and trade out all my glasses for mason jars. But I think they're cute and no one can tell me different. No, they are adorable. That's what we use. But I also want to start canning stuff. And so I have a excess amount of them already. Oh, and I'm also drinking a body armor because I feel dehydrated. I'm trying to continuously drink water because I do end up having to work. I did end up having to work tomorrow. And usually I have the day off um, when we do this podcast so I don't have to like super worry about having to wake up at 3 40 a.m uh but I picked up a shift tomorrow at work so I will be up at 3 40 a.m therefore I am trying to stay as sober as possible which is currently failing because Marky and I had technical difficulties with this recording which was entirely my fault uh, it was honestly I, really funny we figured it, it out I played a little prank on a little prank because so we got back on the zoom call and I had my headphones on and I'm like asked her without you know without saying the words are can you hear me okay her face is priceless you guys I was devastated devastated. I thought we had finally found the problem she's such a dick but because of the frustration and all of it I've been sitting here because the drink is directly in front of me the water is beside me um, I have drank half of it already, so I am feeling a little bit. <laughs> I usually try to start drinking when we start recording. So okay, that... But it doesn't fucking work because we start talking no. an hour early. We're just sitting here yes. drinking while we're talking. Well, we have been best friends for nine years now. Yeah. Almost nine years. Um, so <laughs> when we speak to each other, we usually bullshit for a while. And that doesn't work well when you're also drinking. So by the time I have to remember all this information and research I've done, I can't really focus. No, it's really cute, though. I'm going to be honest, guys. It's my favorite. I like watching a drunk Claire. Yeah, I don't like I don't like editing a drunk Claire. Editing drunk Claire is the least favorite thing. She's cute. I'll keep her. Oh, that's so nice of you. Just for the podcast, though. In real life, we hate each other. 
Yes, because I'm not good. I'm going to spend two to three hours a week doing stuff for, for you just because I hate you. That's true. Both of us are people that we don't really have time for people that we dislike and we don't <laughs> make time for people we dislike besides our jobs, which in everyone's jobs, we you have to kind of do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Our personal lives are not filled with people we hate. We're filled with people that we like and a very small amount of them. Oh, I heard a really good um, analogy yeah. and is I want a small life. And in that small life, I want a small circle of friends that I care about deeply. I want a job that helps me um, get to that's not filled with stress, which I mean, for being honest, that's very rare. But yeah, I don't phrase, know what job isn't filled with yeah, stress. No. Whoever has that job, bless you. I'm so glad for you. I'm happy for you, but also yes. fuck you. <laughs> I'm happy, but fuck you. Um, and then also like I want a house that has just enough and just enough. Yeah. And I like that because we have a very hard time with excess. I like I live my life by just enough. I really even I was talking to someone the other day at work and I was like, even if I was we we're talking about like, you know, stupid rich people as far as mm-hmm. like, you know, we were talking about like trust fund kids, you know. Oh, yeah. And just the excess and craziness of their lives. And I said, even if I was rich, one, I don't think that I could not work. I am a workaholic by definition. I find great purpose in working because stupidly, I find that when I am useful and when I am good at something, I find value in myself, which is incorrect. Ladies and gentlemen, don't do that. You should find value in yourself no matter what. But I truly, one, I wouldn't stop working. Two, I don't, I wouldn't spend money frivolously. Frivolously? I can't talk. I've been drinking. Um, I think that I would buy what I need and then give a lot of the rest away, mainly because I like helping people. But I, I really don't think I would just spend it randomly. No, I think if you were insanely asinine rich, I can definitely see you setting up an, a fund for animals and their like their people's like people's yeah, animals at the local sure. vet hospitals. Hospitals. I would, I would, I would buy a vet hospital and I would make it free to people under a certain you know economic status yeah which to be fair i've always loved animals but so just for reference i had a service dog for most of my adult life and she got a uh, autoimmune disease what it was right when covid hit and i spent i mean 40 to sixty thousand dollars trying to save her over about a year and a half it did not work she ended up dying but that and to be fair i don't you know, I don't make a crazy amount of money. <laughs> that was all inheritance because my mom had died uh, a couple of years before. But that was insanely like in that I realized that those are your kids. And it's not fair that people who have money get to have their kids live. So I think that is something that I would definitely focus on. Also, I thought that uh, what I would do is I want a house in the middle of nowhere, uh, with horses and cattle and animals galore. And I don't really care what I do to get that, 
but that's what I want. And what I've decided is, Marky, that I'm going to build you a house right next to it. And Matt can farm all of the food for the animals. And then like David, my partner, he he would have to travel a lot for work for what he wants to do. So my plan is you just move into my house when he's gone and we'll <laughs> we'll live together. And then Matt can farm and you know you can go visit him or whatever. He can be the side piece. He's always the side piece yes. and he's accepted that. Every significant other has been the side piece to our relationship. Yeah. The only reason we get full-term relationships with people is because we do not live together anymore. <laughs> No. <laughs> so I've known Matt since I was in high school, but like Claire and I are just soulmates. I never yes. thought about like soulmates. You, you know, it's like I've always read those like I like stupid romances, guys. Those are my yeah. and I always think about those soulmates. But it's like, you know, look for those soulmates in your friends. They don't yeah. always have to be romantic. I don't know that I've ever found a soulmate. You know, I want to be with my partner for the rest of you know, our lives. But you, I know we will be together for the rest of our lives. Yes. We have been through everything together. We will always be there for each other. But I was like, that's the goal is I want a house, a nice house in the middle of nowhere. And I don't think Matt would mind <laughs> as long as I give him enough money. And he he's doesn't in the care. middle of nowhere. He's fine. Yeah, he's peachy. He doesn't care. I'm going to build you guys a house. Matt's going to farm the land, help me with the animals. And you can do whatever you like. Live your best life. <laughs> you can write. You can do research. You can work somewhere else if you'd like. You can, you know, do whatever you want. So you're as saying as... I get to be the trophy wife to you? For sure. You have always been <laughs> what I desired as a trophy wife. I will give you whatever you want. You live there. Matt can help me. You do whatever you want. You can start a, a fund for underprivileged children. I don't. I don't care what you do. No, you know I'll so start. Well. I will create a school for you if you want to teach children. As I don't long know if as I you... want to run the school. I'll just like go into. No, 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 no. no. I'll start a whole school just so you can <laughs> teach part time. <laughs> but I figure we just hang out and bullshit and mm -hmm. cook and garden and you know have fun, ride horses and, I mean that's mainly what he's going to be helping with is farming land for hay and stuff for the horses and cattle. Uh, he does all that work because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and we live happily ever after and also i told david the other day that you're my retirement plan because men traditionally die early you're than women i told him i was like marky's my retirement plan we will live together and live happily ever after once you both die actually yeah i'm game they're That'll little work. loves of our life but we're the soulmates you know nope i told matt i'm getting married once and that's just really to him because we both come from broken um broken families and relationships take a lot of work and i love the shit out of him because i tell him every day it's like i love you so much you're super fucking cute and he just looks at me going you're a biased opinion i tell him fuck yeah i am <laughs> you know what and you guys know what and i tell claire i love her she's like yes i love you too but i do think she also thinks that you're a biased opinion and she's not wrong no i'm a biased opinion so if i love you you are so cute. Also, we are equally in love with each other. Yes. That helps. But it mm -hmm. like we're we're similar but we're so different. Like we yeah. are opposite ends of the spectrum as women <laughs> in America. But mm -hmm. not as far as like being, you know, boss ass bitches that get the job done and support our family, but like we're just different as in who we are as people, but I couldn't think of a better person to spend my life with than you. You made me cry. I know. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> we, have, 
We have to try to get on topic. I know it doesn't help. I I drink and then I I get sentimental. I am the nicest drunk you will ever meet in your life. You could I'm hit me. Mean, honestly, if I get drunk, I'm actually kind of mean. She is. <laughs> I can attest to this. She gets mouthy as fuck. She gets aggressive. I <laughs> you could hit me with your car while I'm drinking, and I could be like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. My bad. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. Is your car okay?" You could murder me while drinking. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be an inconvenience to your day. I hope you don't go to prison. That's the opposite. You hit me with your car or you just bad mouth me. There's like an 85% chance I'm taking a, a baseball bat. Right you look your- at you wrong when you're drinking. <laughs> you're going to have it out for that person. Like I don't drink in public. No. I don't. Because well, I it's I'm expensive. Kind of yeah, it's very expensive. And also I'm cheap. But also I don't know what I mean. I can get kind of mean. I'm either like super bubbly or I'm a fucking bitch. I don't think you're mean. You're argumentative. Okay. You will fight tooth and nail for the smallest <laughs> thing when you're drinking. <laughs> and you're like, Marky, let it go. No. How dare you? And yep. I still love her. I don't. I don't know how. Well, she's adorable. Okay. So after that rambling. After who- that very long this introduction. Here. Yes. It's not because we're sober. We can jump right into it. It's because we're drunk. Yep. So Claire, who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Belle de Costa Green. It was so happy. I know. So just in case this is anyone's first episode. So Marky picks the person for me to research and you know talk about, and then I pick the person for her to research and talk about. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh Belle de Costa Green was actually born at Belle Marion Greener. Mm-hmm. So she was born November 26th. 1879 in Washington, D.C. She was born to Richard Theodore Greener and Genevieve Ida Fleet. So she grew up in a predominantly African-American community in Washington, D.C. Her dad is actually quite impressive of a person. We could do a whole episode on him if that's what we did. Mm -hmm. But he was Harvard's first African-American graduate in 1870. And within three years of that, he graduated law school at the University of South Carolina, only to be hired back as the first African-American professor at the school. He taught like philosophy and, and stuff like that. Um, he briefly served as an associate editor to the New National Era, which was an African-American newspaper published in Washington, D.C., which was owned and edited by Frederick Douglass, which he's a very, very famous person. Anyone who doesn't know, he was an American like social reformer, writer, statesman. He's incredibly famous mm-hmm. um, for what he did for the African-American community. His his dad is an insanely interesting person and still has, uh, I believe he has a monument in at the University of Carolina still today. So if anyone has a moment, to research him a little bit he is very interesting but then it's not who we're talking about today did you kind of go off um on down the rabbit hole with him a little bit yes her yeah. story is filled with powerful well several powerful men mm-hmm. um who are very interesting her mom genevieve was a music teacher for prominent families so the backstory with them is her dad was a very big advocate for African-American rights. I mean, this was really early. This was deep into segregation. 
and unfair living conditions for African-Americans. Luckily, she grew up in a family that was pretty prominent as well as easily passing. So her her mom and her siblings could easily pass as white, which at that point in time was something they chose to do to try to eliminate this having to live in segregation and stuff like that. So when she was born, she was born in Washington, D.C., around the late 1880s, her family moved to New York, where her father had been appointed secretary of the Ulysses S. Grant Monument Association. So her mom really wanted them to pass as white, I think. She chose to position themselves with white families, and her dad was very much about trying to break segregation and be an activist for Black Americans, which her mom didn't seem to like. So her mom and dad end up, when she was a teenager, separating, and her mom ended up changing their name to Green instead of Greener, her daughter's and her name in order to kind of distance themselves from him. He ended up going to Russia to serve as a diplomat. And then he ended up taking a common life, common law, common law Japanese wife named Misha Hashim. And they had a couple children as well. But she very much wanted to like distance herself from him, I think, because she wanted to pass white. Now, because we are both white women, we can't really judge that because at that point that was almost dangerous to be black that was a, a really terrifying time in history yes and it's just fascinating because there is a lot of white privilege if you don't think there is then you're lying to yourself yeah and there was definitely a lot of white privilege um even more so with um segregation and all that yeah absolutely um so after her father moved away and he's kind of not spoken about in her life really ever again mm-hmm. that i can find they moved move to a predominantly white part of town in New York and they go under the assumption well they say that they are from Portuguese descendants because Belle is slightly darker than her brothers and sisters and her mom mm-hmm. but as Portuguese descent they can all pass as white so that's yeah. That's the assumption through the whole thing is that they are white. In census censuses and stuff like that, they are marked as white. So they're they're very clearly passing in life as white. So Belle's education and professional training during like the ni- 1890s remains a little fuzzy. There's not a ton of documentation about it. Um, in 1896, she was an assistant in the office of a teacher's college and then Later, she submitted an application to Northfield Seminary for Young Ladies, evangelistic school. But her so her mom wrote a letter to someone else who then that person wrote a letter to basically the dean who ran the school um, saying that like she was white and her mom was white, but they had this African-American father who was a bad influence but she was this great person, so you should let her into the school. But it's not clear whether she was actually admitted and went there. There's not really anything until Belle began working at Princeton University Library in 1902. So that's where she basically found her official training in cataloging and that kind of thing as a librarian. And through that, she made her most important connection which was to julius spencer morgan the second 
which was J.P. Morgan's uncle. And I'm sure that we all know who or have briefly heard of who J.P. Morgan is. He is J.P. Morgan, Chase, you know, Chase Bank, whatever. He was a insanely rich financier in like the 19th century um worth you know now like he would have been worth, yeah he was very very rich he was really really good at making money so she met jp morgan through his nephew uh through that his nephew spencer sorry junius convinced his uncle to hire her uh so that was in 1905 he hired her as a librarian to work for him Mm -hmm. in 1906 his private collection which was referred to as the morgan library but it was private at the time was the construction was finished in 1906 but she started work, working for him in 1905. In 1908, she became his, she started working for him overseas and in building his collection and selling pieces and in doing all that. She was paramount. She was noted for being really, really good at getting good deals with dealers. And she she traveled for him and and kind of built this collection. In the beginning, um, a lot of his collection was in other libraries and mm-hmm. she was in charge of organizing it and cataloging and maintaining everything. They worked, they were super close. So some people say that possibly at some point they were sleeping together. But basically what she said is we tried it <laughs> is kind of what she said, but nothing really else. Like some sources say that they were sleeping together, but there wasn't really any anything. But he trusted her a hundred percent. She spent millions of dollars oh my god that just because she they helped um accumulate so many notable pieces of the artwork and first collection dictionaries and bibles to to bring them to america because this is trying to make new york a better more metropolitan place to where people are able to see the culture like yeah um i find her he, so fascinating she she's an amazing woman yes she worked all over the world. She hung out with top tier, you know, people in their mm-hmm. houses. She knew every single collector. She was a hugely prominent person at this time. Uh, she was noted in the New York Times. There was this one book that she acquired for like less than half of its worth. And so they published articles all over for her. And she had a fit about being published in articles. She was not super into being in the limelight, but also like, I think it was more of a, it's not that she was insanely humble, but she was humble publicly and not privately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she knew what she had done was impressive. And you have to think she is, was, of mixed race which at that point meant a lot and she was doing all of that secretly you know and there's probably just the pressure of not wanting to accidentally be found out as being a black woman and we'll kind of go into the length she went to for that a little bit later but ah so exciting you know like i said she spent millions of dollars um to buy art and she she kind of focused jp morgan he kind of had a random collection and she really focused him on manuscripts and you know art pieces and 
original books and stuff like that but they worked together for i believe like eight years something like that uh she also throughout this had a he was a italian renaissance man he was named bernard bierson uh who was married by the way she had a a sometimes normal sometimes sexual relationship with him throughout her life they wrote back and forth to each other but I mean, she she really expanded this private collection to something incredible. I mean, she she went out all over the world to find these amazing pieces and artworks, and she knew everyone, everyone involved in the field. So uh, J.P. Morgan died March 31st, 1913, which was incredibly emotionally devastating to her. She wrote to her, I don't know, affair lover person. Um talking about how basically the light had gone out in her life um but how privileged she was to be so trusted by him and stuff because i mean if you're basically at that point if you were today basically a billionaire and someone just has your account and is trusted to kind of make all those decisions they have to mean a lot to you um so she got when he died 50 thousand fifty thousand dollars which today is like i don't know one point some million dollars which is i think that was the point where people are like were you guys sleeping together because you gave this woman like a bunch of money (laughs) and i i i have no idea if they actually slept together like and i also don't think it matters but i think it was mainly the relationship that they had um because he cared so much you know his life was so much in being a financier and wall street and all that stuff but i think his real passion was art and literary um exploits and stuff like that so i think she kind of had his heart in her hand in that point yeah in that aspect of they both had a big interest in bringing together valuable pieces from art and manuscripts together and building that collection oh my little nerd heart's so happy (laughs) So after his death, she worked with Jack Morgan, which his name is actually John, but for some reason they called him Jack. Also, hold on. Uh, she lovingly nicknamed J.P. Morgan Big Chief, <laughs> which I know that's not an important fact, but it was funny to me. It is kind of funny. I desire to call a billionaire Big Chief <laughs> lovingly. Yes. So together, they built the library into a public library. Yep. Shout out to the public libraries. Libraries <laughs> are the support to all of the communities that are able to have them. So at that point, it was called the Pierpont Morgan Library. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up selling a lot of pieces, um, gaining a lot of pieces. They had like a $25 million dowry for the library. Oh. So she also made a salary. She was the first director of that library. So she also made $100,000 a year as a salary for directing that library. Um, was that, so- is that changed or is that actually the amount that was given? So $100,000 in 1913, which is the year that he died. I don't know how that would have increased over the years. Mm-hmm would be $2,998,060.61. So she was okay. She was okay. <laughs> she was fine. She was okay. Yep. Oh my God. And, uh, Belle never married. She mm-hmm. continued to live with her mom throughout 
her life, but she was fine uh, financially. She kind of became the breadwinner for her family at that point, I would assume. She did, yeah. She definitely lived a incredibly comfortable life. I mean, I think that was J.P. Morgan's goal, really, mm-hmm. is to give her enough so she was comfortable throughout the rest of her life. It's important to note that she was older than she said she was. You know, when she first met Morgan, she was like 26, and she said that she was like 20 which was common about unmarried women then because there was an ageism of being if you were 26 and unmarried you were a spinster for sure oh yeah they're definitely i there's a lot of ageism and there's i mean that's even now but definitely not even half as much as there was then but so when she worked with his son jack she did a ton of work about making things accessible Mm -hmm. you know exhibits and papers and stuff she made accessible from you know even museums close but museums around the world uh she did a lot of work to try to make the information and pieces they have accessible to everyone. And that was a huge reason of why they ended up making the library public was so that everyone could see and have this information, not just the really rich friends of a really rich dude. And I love that so much because accessibility for everyone is necessary and a just human right. It is. Yeah, I think that it's an incredibly important thing that she put at the foremost very early on in a time Mm -hmm. that half the world wasn't accessible to the other i mean this was i mean 1920 something was not accessible to anyone i mean white people white males basically yes that's who privileged males yeah that is who had accessibility besides that it was maybe you know she was lucky as in she came in from a good family but everything else didn't really matter i mean when you come from a black family then i'm not going to begin to understand what that feels like but you have to fight for everything Mm -hmm. even more than you do today i mean it's still a problem today so imagine what it was a hundred years ago oh yeah because that's what almost a hundred years ago spent about 100 years ago so that's what she spent the rest of the time doing basically she worked for that organization for about 40 years i mean the majority of her life was spent trying to make things accessible and collecting and being fucking awesome it's so cool Um, i love librarians so much (laughs) so so she held the spot as the director for the pierpoint morgan library until 1948 um a couple months before her death she ended up burning all of her personal letters and personal papers Mm. um and now let me say that what i'm gonna say for the reason is somewhat speculation but it isn't but it is some survived her boyfriend lover you know italian renaissance man had copies of the letters that she had sent over 600 of them (laughs) and some are still being discovered today at the morgan library Mm -hmm. um but it is believed that she did it partially to protect her relationship with uh bernard but also to protect the legacy that she had built with the morgan library i mean 1950 was the height of segregation in the united states and she didn't want people to find out that she had been running it 
for what four decades and for that to hurt the morgan library so this amazing strong brave woman burned all of her personal papers to try to hide the fact that she was actually african-american that is so sad in order to protect the legacy of the library she didn't want to take away from all the work that she had done i mean it's it hasn't even been that long since it was discovered that she was african-american because that had to be a fact that was discovered so that she could protect the legacy that she had built i mean when she worked there she was in charge of everything everything that came in she was in charge of making sure the printers had ink the elevator worked she built this library you know, overstated enough what mm-hmm. she did for this collection. So, and then two months after she, I don't know if she like realized that she was probably nearing death. She only lived two months after she retired. She died May 10th, 1950 in New York City, which is where the Pierpont Morgan Library was. Um, that library is now the Morgan Library and Museum. And it is gorgeous i i've been watching yeah i've been watching videos we should definitely go visit i do i went to go visit i told matt i want to go visit new york and he said why because i want to visit a library it's okay i also dislike new york a lot (laughs) i've been to new york city i hate it there There's too many people. I'm sorry to any of our New York listeners that love it, but we, I come from a very small area of Kansas and I come from an introverted self. So, (laughs) but I think New York is kind of made up of introverts, (laughs) but in a weird way, yes. Yes. Also, last time I was at New York, I broke my hand in like three places. So that sounds like you. I had a miserable time. But I think we should definitely, one, we love history and stuff like that. We could go mm-hmm. and do that. Um, uh, and that is the thing. The eastern side of the United States has so much history to it. Like, I want to go visit the historical sites of New York, which there's a lot. Like, Well, and I really want to go to Washington, D.C. again. Yeah, and I've so, never been. Yeah, so we could go do that and do all the museums and just shoot up. I mean, New York is not that far. Just shoot up to New York for a day and (laughs) go see important stuff. So the Morgan Library Museum is, it's in Manhattan, New York. They are awesome. They already have a ton of papers and stuff about uh, Belle's life. Um, Mm -hmm. They have a like program where they get uh, people from underprivileged demographics to come and work with them. Uh, They have great programs. They have upheld her vision very well. So actually in 2024, so two years from now, two years from now, I was like, what year is it? Uh, I'll help you with the math. Thank you. 2024, they're actually going to have an exhibition that will be focused on Belle's life and career at the Morgan, which will center on how she pushed to make it public and all of the records that they have. So like I said, they've been discovering extra letters because we're talking about millions of pieces and manuscript and letters and all this stuff. So they've, you know, pieced together and found things and they've gotten them from other places to copy them. And their real goal is to be able to make all of this kind of a digital copy so everyone has access to it. Yes. So that's what they're <laughs> that's what they're working on right now. They also have like art installations and and they kind of do everything. It's a it's a beautiful place if anyone is near there or wants to visit or research it. It's an it seems like an awesome uh place that does a lot of good. Maybe we can plan out for 2024 to go up there. That gives us like a year and a half or so to you know, yeah. save up for a nice trip. 
That'd be a nice little vacation for us. Do a little podcast up there. I was uh, just saying, it's like if it's this this podcast hobby really blows off, it can be written off as a business expense. Exactly. <laughs> Which is really my goal in life is to have my hobbies written off as a business expense. Because that just means you're an important person. You know what I mean? Like if you're not us, we're not rich and famous. But if you're rich and famous, basically anything you do that's a hobby could be a business expense. I have a, I'm a massage therapist. I have a certification massage therapy and I've owned a massage therapy business. And there really is like a lot of stuff just even as a small business owner you can write off. So if I went to the city, which is about an hour and a half away, and I bought some coconut oil for my massage therapy, I could write that whole trip off like the mileage off for business expense. But please go see a tax provider for your questions. <laughs> not sponsored. I'm not that. Yes. I'm not that. We are not an expert on tax. Um, she lived an incredible life. She was an incredible woman. She was smart and, you know, she was a huge part of JP Morgan's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she helped him with basically tax evasion. <laughs> and Shit. now that we're talking about it, we organically came to tax evasion. She was really good at getting around customs and, and having to pay fines for stuff. <laughs> you know, she was the pinnacle of a smart, intelligent woman who just wanted the best for her and her family. And, you know, she is still a viable uh, hero for us all. Oh, did you like learning about her? Because I picked her and I know a little bit about her. I didn't know yes. as much as like I found out like the tax evasion stuff. I did not. Well, the problem sense. is, is there's so many resources. So actually in June 2021, there was a book, which is why she's kind of had a resurgence yeah. of interest in her called The Personal Librarian by Heather Terrell. But that was a co-authored book, right? I think I think I read that one. It was co-authored by Heather Terrell and Victoria Christ- Christopher Murray or Murray. Yeah. So that's kind of her reinsurgence. But uh, she's an incredibly interesting woman who we all should be proud to aspire to, to be a badass, witty. She had a very um good sense of humor and it just generally didn't care where she came from she was gonna get to the top that is so cool well, i like that well thank you claire of course was there anything else that you really liked about her that you want to add in before we no i think that people should definitely research the morgan library museum they mm-hmm. are really interesting and their website is actually super user-friendly and has a lot of really cool pieces in it in general. But it's an interesting website. And they have a lot of articles about her and parts of her life and stuff like that. So I would definitely recommend people check that out. And I mean, if you live in New York, go see the library if you haven't seen it already. Send us a picture and tag us on it. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Absolutely. Our Instagram is the witches you didn't burn. And... The Twitter is Witches Didn't Burn. Yep. All right. So who are we going to talk about next week, Marks? So next time we get together, we are going to be talking about Frida Kahlo. And she is a Mexican artist. I'll be honest. I actually know very little, little about her. Um, I've seen her artwork. 
I've just, you know, in class and stuff like that. But there's actually, okay, one of my favorite women um, in the book club I'm in, I bet I'm in the book club and I am the youngest one in there by 20 years, if not more for some of the women. Um, She's, she has these socks that has Frida on them and they're really cute but I'm excited to learn about her if you guys want to rate us write a review anything like that you can do that on Spotify Apple Podcasts anywhere that you do podcasts yeah it Um, really does help us it does and also share us with a friend that you think would find this fascinating if you have someone that you want us to specifically talk about or you're interested in learning about just let us know on any of our social medias and we would be happy to look into that for you yes and thanks so much for listening bye guys bye